Thank you, Matt and Emily, for leading us in worship this morning. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. We're glad you're here to worship with us. You maybe um, worship with us every Sunday. Maybe, maybe you come here every Sunday or you watch us online every Sunday. Um, maybe this is your first time even checking out a church service. You know, it's Easter and, and you're with some family members and you just happen to be watching because they are. Well, let me say something. Either way, thank you for watching. Thank you for spending the morning with us. And, and, and thank you for checking out Jesus. We look forward to, to worshiping him this morning as we gather. So with that, um, <clears throat> I wanted to start with a number of different stories this morning, okay? So the stories we're going to be starting with this morning uh, are different. So here we go. I was talking to a pastor friend one day. And he told me that a young lady had recently called him. And on the phone with, with her as she called the pastor was her mother. Because she had recently, as she said to the pastor, you know, um, I made some mistakes and I'm now pregnant. And her mom and her grandma and her family were so mad at this young lady. And she was calling to get some help. Let me give you another one. There's this guy who grew up in the church, and he thought, man, I think someday I'm going to be a pastor. So he got married, and he had kids, and he started to go to seminary. He did really well in seminary, to the point where, as he was in seminary, teachers would say to him, man, I can't wait for someday for you to be on faculty with us. I can't wait to hear you teach. So this guy continues on through school. He he excels in school, he finishes, he starts to become a pastor, and then that day comes, and he received a phone call, and it was his seminary, and they were, they were calling him to come back and teach. Well, he goes back, and he starts to teach, and he has the dream job, and, and everything seems to be going well for him, until he has an affair, and he cheats on his wife. Then his wife leaves him. He loses his kids. He loses his job. It's his dream job. He can't be a pastor anymore. And he starts to drink too much. And he starts to sleep around. And he starts to become really super mad at God. Then there's this young boy. This young boy, he, he grew up in the church. He, he went to Sunday school, he heard church sermons, he went to youth group, he went to every summer camp that he could possibly go to. He went to confirmation. I mean, he grew up in the church, and then one day he goes away to college. And while he's at college, he gets into a relationship with a young lady, and he starts to have relationships with her that are outside of what God permits. But that's not all. He takes it to another level, too, and he, he starts to have a boyfriend as well, and he, and he starts to have a relationship with him as well. And, and he stops going to church and he, and he decides that, like, I'm just going to live my life the way I want. Then there's this mom. There's this one mom. She, she just doesn't think she's good enough at anything. She doesn't think she's good enough at raising her kids. She doesn't think she's good enough wife. She doesn't think she contributes enough to the family. She, she worries about so many things. Her worry comes from a place where, if we were to be honest, she isn't trusting Jesus for all parts of her life. Her struggle, it's real. 
It's hard for her. Next story. We get to a guy. He never went to church. The guy never went to church in his life. He just grew up and he kind of lived his life for himself. He made decisions based on what would be best for him. He be, as, he, as life went on, he was married multiple times, wasn't faithful, wasn't a good father, didn't know how to show compassion to his family. He even didn't like the idea of God. Matter of fact, not just did not like the idea of God, didn't want to talk about it, and didn't want to be associated with it at all. Then one day, this guy's kid becomes a Christian. Maybe one of the worst things that could happen in, his, in, the, in, the, in the dad's eyes. And the kid starts to try to talk to his dad about Jesus. And dad wants none of it. And over time, I mean, they had conversations about it. But over time, the dad made it very clear that he was not willing to listen. And then there's your story. I'm curious as to how you would describe your story. I mean, if you were to be completely honest and you were to, to tell the story of not just your successes, not just the things that you do well in life, but if you were to be honest and tell the story about your hurts, about your losses, about your fears, about your struggles, about your, your, the guilt and the shame that you feel because of your shortcomings, because of your sin, there's your story. And I'm curious how you would tell it. I'm curious how it affects you. But we're going to come back to your story and these other ones in a little bit. For now, though, I want to tell a different story. Maybe uh, it's about my love-hate relationship with Legos. See, some people say it's Lego, even if there's more than one of them. And that's fine. But I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say there's Legos, okay? And this is my love-hate relationship with Legos. See, we have been buying my kids Legos for a long time. I mean, I never really played with that many Legos growing up, but my kids, they have. They, they love Legos. Matter of fact, one time they wanted some more Legos, and we were just kind of tired of even buying them Legos, that we decided that our kids could sell pop and bottles of water on a street corner near our house, and they could hold up a sign that said, trying to raise money for Legos. And you know what happened? People would just stop and give my kids money, and they didn't even want the pop. They just wanted the kids to have Legos, and, and because people love Legos. And it's, they're good because, because they help you to create um, a sense of imagination. They, they allow you to play games in your head and create. And for that reason, I love Legos. But for another reason, I hate them. And that reason is this. No matter all the rules that we put in place, no matter what we say to our kids, Legos end up everywhere. I mean, we have a, uh, at, at our house at this one time, we had this Lego station, and my wife set it up really nice. They had these like lower tables, and the kids had chairs they could slide up to them, and she had all these bins, and, and they were color-coded to where all the Legos had a place to go. But no matter what we said to our kids, you know, like, keep the Legos downstairs. No matter what, Legos would find me. They would be in my couch cushions. They would be on my floor. They would be on the steps. I would step on them, and I would vacuum them up. And then, this is true. This is a little annoyance, but it's true. 
I would be vacuuming and I would see these Legos on the ground and I'd have to, my wife would want me to pick them up, but I hate them so much that I just sucked them right into the machine because I didn't want to bend over. I can't stand Legos for this reason. So one time my wife and I, it was actually around Easter and, and we were kind of busy and we said to our kids, hey, um, we would really like for you guys to go downstairs and pick up all the Legos off the floor. Now, you don't need to throw them into the color-coded bins. Just pick up all the Legos, pick them up, and put them on the table. And then mom and dad will help you sort them later on. And by mom and dad, I mean Jenny, because she would do that. So, my kids, when they heard us ask them to pick up the Legos off the ground, they threw the biggest fit. I mean, you would have thought that we asked them to throw them away. But we didn't. We just asked them to pick them up. And they said, oh, I don't want to pick them up. This kid, the other kid should pick them up. More of them. They play with them more. No, you played with them more recently. I already picked up my share. Whatever it was, that was total chaos about picking up these Legos. And I said something. Some, some words kind of came out of my mouth about this. And I said to my kids, today... Today is not the day that we are going to be pointing fingers at who made the mess. Today is the day that it gets determined who cleans it up. I want you to think about that. Today is not the day we point fingers at who made the mess. Today is the day that, is, that determines who cleans it up. This line is about perfect for today. Today is not the day where we point fingers at who made the mess. Today is the day that we actually celebrated who cleaned up the mess. Because this mess that I'm talking about is our spiritual lives. This mess is our everyday lives. And we know who already made that mess. We don't need to point the fingers because it's all of us. But today we're going to be looking at his plan to fix our messes, to, to forgive our sins, to restore us to a right relationship with him. So as you sit here and listen, know and hold to the truth and to the promise that he has made a way. And that is why we gather on Easter Sunday. With that, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for all things. We thank you for the way that you work and for, and for your life and your death. That you would do something like that for us, Lord. Thank you for your redeeming love. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 11. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed, down, bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men and be crucified and raised on the third day? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. 
Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe in him. That ends the reading that we have for today. As we read this text, there are some details for us to look at. Details actually point to depth. The depth lends itself to a fuller story. It lends itself to, a credi- to credibility. It says on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. First, we need to know who they was. And that's answered for us in verse 11. There was at least three women we know of. It names them because they're a little more prominent. It's Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. I say at least three because then it says there's some other women with them. And Luke is listing them because they're, they're kind of known. We see them throughout the rest of the scriptures. That in itself is important because, because it lends the credibility of the claim. See, here's what it says. When we read the scriptures, we know something about this. Here's what we know. If one person were to say something, we don't always know if it's true. If it's one-on-one, it could just be he said, she said. But if there's, if there's two people who hear a story or two people who see an event, then it's a little more credible. But if there's three or more, it is considered truth. We have to remember back in this day, they didn't walk around with iPads and phones. They weren't capturing all these moments. They weren't sharing pictures and video texts and things like this. No, an eyewitness was very important. And for this story, Luke captures for us that at least three women saw it plus those who are with them. Scriptures go on to also talk about how you need more than one person. Deuteronomy says a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrongdoing in connection with an offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses. 2 Corinthians 13 says, This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is how it is in life. We, we need multiple people to see it. We need to capture moments so we can believe them. We want to believe moments, but, but seeing it helps us. But when we can't see it, we depend upon the eyewitnesses of more than one person. And so we see these women walking to the tomb of Jesus And I want you to know that there is no question about why they're heading to the tomb. They're heading to the tomb of Jesus to give him a proper burial. They're heading there and they have these spices and they want to anoint Jesus' body with them. They believe Jesus had died. They believe this because of the whole eyeball test. They had seen Jesus be betrayed and lied against. They had seen him beaten, whipped, scourged, mutilated, and crucified. They saw him die on a cross next to two other men. They weren't the only ones who had seen it. Many others had seen it as well. And they were going to the tomb looking to give him a proper burial. They weren't going to this tomb with great hope. They were not going to this tomb looking for a miracle. Their hopes were dashed. Their teacher, their Messiah, was killed. And they were on their way to the tomb just after the Sabbath was over. 
They were obeying the laws, but they were also going to go and, and take care of Jesus' body. So they rose early in the morning. I want us to think about this. The depth of these details are, are important because they were going earlier in the day because as the day went on and it heated up, it would only make the smell worse for the third day. And as they get to the tomb, they notice something. They notice that the, the, the rock that blocks the tomb had been rolled away. And another one of the gospel accounts, it actually says that as they were walking to the tomb, they, they, the women realized that they didn't have anybody to roll the stone away. But they just kept on going. And as they get to where the, the, the tomb is, and the stone is in the way, they actually realize that it's not in the way, and they look inside the tomb. And they see that it's empty. And they see that Jesus' body isn't there. And they become perplexed. What could have happened to his body? Who could have taken it? Why isn't it here? And it's at this moment that they're still mourning and they're still broken. You know what? And we should actually stop here in this portion of the text because it's easy for us each year to think about the story and have it just be a part of a story. But it's more than that. Jesus walked with these people. Jesus was friends with these people they loved Jesus. They had their hopes pinned to him. I want you to think about being at a funeral for somebody you love. Usually we go to funerals three, four, five days after they die. And when we get to the, the funeral, we're still very emotional and we're torn and we're hurt and we're missing them. And I want you to see that. I want you to understand that they are in the same place. They're in the same place of hurt. Allow this story to come alive before you and to speak to your heart and your mind and your soul. Imagine the hurt that these women are still feeling. And they walk up to this grave and they get there. And they look in. And they see something. And what they see is what we come to celebrate all the time. It's an empty tomb. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Two men were standing with them, dazzling bright, their presence so strong that the woman put their faces to the ground and they said to the woman, Who do you, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Oh man, could it be? Imagine being near the tomb, looking in and hearing the words. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Man, I can just imagine, I can see them, them, them having hope. Just a glimmer of it. I see it overtaking them, overcoming them. It's like watching a person come back to life or watching breath come back into a person. It'd be like watching a, a cup be filled with water. It changes it completely, and you can watch it and see it happen as it fills up. And I can see these women being filled up with the hope and the promises of Jesus. As these two angels said, remember what he said? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. See, this is our hope. This is our belief. The whole story 
is in the story of the cross and the resurrection. Martin Luther would say, the cross alone is our theology. A book I've been reading would say the cross, and whenever they talk about the cross, they, they combine the two events, the cross being um, his death and his resurrection. It would say, the cross insists on being its own story. It does not allow us to stand by and watch, though. The cross actually draws us into itself so that we become participants in the story. Did you hear that? It, the cross, the death, his death, and his resurrection draw us into the story. He says to, the, to these women, Do you remember his words? I will be handed over. I will be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, his death. And on the third day, I will rise, an empty grave. That is the equation for man's sins. That is, that is the plan for all of our wrongdoings. This is God's redeeming story for your life and for mine. The cross, it draws us to him. It is, it is our story. It becomes our story because it is God's story for us. He wants that for us. When I opened with each of those stories in the beginning, we seem to think that there's all this gloom there's, there's all this judgment. There's all this, this, this payment for, my pun, or for the, the deeds that I've done. And we forget what Easter is really about. We forget that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took on all of our payments. Everything that we should have paid for is paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And when he dies... And when, he, and when he goes into the grave, he fulfills his promises to us and gives us life when he walks out of it. See, in each of our stories, when we look at our hearts, we know that we are the ones who turned our backs on God. We turned our back on Jesus. In each of our stories, we love our sin. We choose the things of the world that we think or that we thought would give us the most joy, that we thought would benefit us, that we thought would, would be good for us. And see, Jesus was delivered into the hands of sinful men, it says. That's us. Our actions are what delivered Jesus Christ to the cross. So I want you to think about your story this morning. I want you to think about what weighs you down. I want you to think about your story. And I want you to think about the cross. Because see, at the cross, your story gets sucked into that. His death and his empty grave giving you new life. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. In the story, the two men ask them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? I can't help but think of this question while I ask that same question. Why do you allow your sin, your sadness, your mistakes to keep you from the cross? Why do you allow your sin, your sadness, and your mistakes to make you feel the weight of them? Why do you let them burden you? Don't you know that he is risen? Don't you know that he has risen from the grave for you and for me? 
Today is not the day we point fingers at who made the mess. Today is the day we lift our voice and praise the one who cleaned up our mess. Jesus Christ. He has made us whole. He has healed humanity for all of those who believe. Will you let that be part of your story today? Will you allow the theology of the cross? Will you allow Jesus' death and resurrection be everything that you need, all that you need? I hope so. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that this message of hope that Jesus Christ gives to us will become real to you. So, church family, if you believe in Jesus, you have this. This is what it's all about. Living with the freedom of the cross. Knowing that he's paid it all for us. And if you don't know that, why don't you pray with us right now? We're going to pray and give thanks for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a wretched sinner. I know that about myself. Each day I live my life knowing the things that I do wrong. And each day I am reminded of your wonderful grace that you give to me, that you poured out for me on the cross. Lord, you paid my, my penalty on the cross. And Lord, you gave me life in your resurrection. And in that I say thank you. And Lord, if anyone's out there and they're watching, Lord, may they just say yes to you today, Lord. May they just acknowledge what you have done for them. You work on their hearts, their minds, their souls. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.